Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Ingolstad, here as always with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. Hello, hello. Yes, Haley, we are back. And I almost said yes, chef, because we are going to be very organized and very on point today uh, with how we are coming in and out of our intros and then with our back and forth. We're going to be right on top of this like a French kitchen would, because we are talking about uh, the Hulu television series, The Bear. Yes, a fantastic series. Yes. So we are going to get into all of that after our break. But obviously, you know, this is a, a very unique setting. And, you know, when this show just started getting popular um, over the course of the summer, you know, you were hearing a lot about how, oh, you know, I've never really seen a real restaurant kitchen really reflected like this Mm -hmm. and it does i mean it does feel very real yeah you know almost like it could be a documentary like Mm -hmm. the way that they're filming it like you're in the kitchen with them but for me it certainly gave me some some flashbacks of my own i have worked in a couple of different restaurant settings i've done like busboy stuff i've done dishwasher stuff i've done uh i was technically a manager of a gelato shop for one or two summers so i've got all the different layers of of experience to a certain extent and you know it it had me thinking about yeah this is a very unique stressful environment and one that probably most of the people in these settings could benefit from one form of support or another yes definitely yeah it's a lot of pieces moving all at once Yes. And the the experience that I felt like I had to share because it sort of speaks to this whole thing on a much lower level. But, you know, for me, my family sort of also runs a restaurant. Um, my mom is a is a business manager for shout out the Belmar Fishing Club. Woo woo. And she uh, has been running that ever since we moved to the Jersey Shore. This is now like 30 years ago. As the oldest son, as the oldest uh, child on the side of the family, I had like the first opportunity to work at the restaurant once I became old enough to Mm -hmm. have a job. So what do you do as your first job in the restaurant industry? You are a dishwasher. Yes. (laughs) Shout out just because basically that's all you can be trusted with um, in, in a stressful environment. And I did two days of dishwashing for some very intense like Labor Day weekend type parties. Uh-huh. And I decided that I had had enough and I didn't want to work in the restaurant industry anymore. <laughs> At least not there. I did another summer busboying and, and things like that at other places. But the funniest part of that is now that after I had a very limited experience there, all three of my siblings and like, I don't know, seven or eight of my cousins have subsequently all worked there for multiple summers. Oh, funny. So they all have this like very tight, you know, family relationship. Like anytime we're there for a family uh-huh. party, it's like, oh, employees of uh, former employees all come in. So it's like 20 people that all work together multiple uh-huh. summers. And then I always managed to sneak in, even though I did not work in there <laughs> at any point with them. Um, but I still claim it. You're Carmi. Well. <laughs> you went off and got your experience somewhere else. <laughs> yes, I, I certainly did. Um, but then did not come back. Because, you know, sometimes you just have to know enough about yourself that, you know, certain environments you're not cut out for. So funny. So I don't know how you feel about the the restaurant industry, but I had just enough experience to know that I didn't want to help people that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I've definitely worked in the service industry as well. I worked in a cafe and then I bartend for festivals. And it is lots of people moving quickly, you know, 10 hours on your feet, a lot of like eight people all moving in the same four foot space, like one of those kind of things. And I definitely think this was a very good representation of that. And 
Um, a lot of the back of house details were really good, like drinking water yes. out of like whatever container you can find. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really great. And in terms of like, do I think this is an experience that everybody should have? I do have thoughts about it, but also mm. comedian Kyle Ayers has a bit about it. And I think we're going to ask him if we can let him explain the thoughts on people getting experience in the service industry. What do you think? Fantastic. We, we could use that, uh, that additional perspective. So please uh, take it away, Kyle. At this point, clap for your bartender, servers, crazy. Imagine they want to serve you. Think about the nightmare you are. Who here has worked in the service industry before? Yeah. <laughs> people raising their hands. I have. I feel like everyone should have to. Do you ever go out to eat with someone who's like an asshole at a restaurant? I went out and ate and my friend did this to the server. And you should be able, the server should be able to kill them. If you do this, you should, I, I watch once a year a server should be able to kill someone. I think that if Netflix is here, that's my show, once a year, someone does this, you're like, all right, I'm, I'm gonna Candace, I'm gonna hunt Candace today. But they did this, it's very frustrating. Everyone who is an asshole at a restaurant has the same thing in common, they have never worked at a restaurant before. And I feel like everyone in America needs to, so adults know how to behave. In some countries, they have this thing called conscription. And how that works is from age 18 to 21, everyone legally has to serve in the military. I think America would benefit from restaurant conscription. Age 18, Everyone is legally a server. That is what you do. It's like, oh, you want to study abroad? Too bad. You got drafted by Chili's. You want to get back to your baby? Get these baby backs out to 10. I've never been to war. I have worked a Mother's Day brunch. Um, what was bloodier? Um, the Mary's? Hey everyone, Ryan here. No ad this week, but a quick request. We would love to know where you follow us. So if you wouldn't mind taking 10 seconds while you're listening to today's episode, reach out to us on your social media of choice. Say hi, say what's up, request an episode topic. We would love to hear from you. And now, back to the episode. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners. We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound. So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. The Bear is an American drama television series showing on FX on Hulu. It premiered in June of 2022. In The Bear, a young chef from the fine dining world comes home to Chicago to run his family sandwich shop after a heartbreaking death in his family. A world away from what he's used to, Carmi must balance the soul-crushing realities of small business ownership, his strong-willed and recalcitrant kitchen staff, <laughs> and his strained familial relationships, all while grappling with the impact of his brother's suicide. Yes. So we are dropped into that, and mm-hmm. it is quite heavy, but I think one of the things that I, I really liked about this show is that they balance out the heaviness with family and comedy and sort of a a realism that's not so heavy. I don't know. I don't know if it's, I don't know what other shows I feel like I've been trying to watch recently, but sometimes dramas can lean too much on heavy and dark Mm -hmm. and sad. And I felt like this wasn't that it wasn't a straight comedy by any means, but it was, it just, I, I think I'm just saying it, I really like the tone that it, that it found over the course of the season. Yeah, definitely very realistic. Um, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't name it a comedy by any means, but there definitely are fun moments. I, I, it was, yeah, it was very realistic, I think. Yeah, so we dropped into this, both this literal family, which includes Carmi, or Carmi Brazado, his cousin, Richie, and their sister, 
uh, Natalie or Sugar Rosado, mm-hmm. and their uh, brother or cousin Michael was the one that unfortunately before the events of the show take place had committed suicide and he turns over the restaurant that he had been running to Carmi or Carmen. So we're dropped into that with Carmi and you know immediately we're getting sort of this weight that the family is recovering from mm-hmm. um, all while trying to keep the business afloat and the stress of financial stressors and you know I think another part of this is just the sort of family of the the employees uh, that also work at the restaurant who all also depend on the restaurant for their livelihoods and you can just kind of feel the weight um, that everyone is hoping this thing's going to stay afloat mm-hmm. while Carmi takes over. Yeah. So when we're dropped into this, Haley, you know, and we and we see, as you pointed out before we started recording, the first scene really being Carmi's, we call it a nightmare? Yeah. Uh, hallucina- hallucination? And yeah, he wakes it's, up, it's, it's while he's sleeping, nightmare. right? He yeah. wakes up from uh-huh. it. Yeah. Of more or less being attacked by a bear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And then periodically throughout the season, he also has some of these, I think we might call these also nightmares uh, the, i think the one i'm that's jumping out to me is when he sort of wakes up and sees the kitchen is on fire mm-hmm. but then that actually happens in real life in mm-hmm. the last episode of the season so he's obviously under a tremendous amount of stress mm-hmm. which we don't need to be dream interpreters to to figure out so no. yeah and what are you seeing with carmy when we're dropped into him with him yeah so <clears throat> excuse me what we see a bunch with regard to those moments is a lot of traumatic dissociation, particularly with that last fire. Basically the kitchen catches on fire and he just steps back and like stares through it, not even stares at it. And Richard ends up having to like snap him back to reality and be like, Hey, 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 like what's going on? Where are you at? And basically dissociation, trauma related dissociation, which I think is kind of what's happening here is sometimes described as like a mental escape um, when like physical escape is either not immediately needed or not immediately available. And it basically somebody just becomes so emotionally overwhelmed that they don't know what to do. And the whole vibe of this entire show is just like stressful and emotionally overwhelming constantly. And so it's no surprise to me that he has these moments, particularly since he's kind of repeatedly saying that he doesn't really know how to talk about it or how to deal with it or who to talk to about it. And he's kind of trying to fix everything for everyone all at once. And and I think his brain is just trying to process it as best as it can. And it's not making it easy for him. Yeah. And the people that he's surrounded with are on different levels trying to make it easier for Mm -hmm. him. Certainly Sugar, his sister, is very concerned about him. Mm -hmm. Richie and and Carmi's relationship is a really interesting one. Obviously, Richie maybe at least initially is a little resentful that Carmi's like coming in from the, you know, high class world of fine dining to Mm -hmm. take over the restaurant. Maybe he thinks that he should have gotten control of the restaurant from Michael. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Carmi comes in and and tries to change certain things. And Mm -hmm. she's certainly resentful of that. And then we have uh, everyone else from the restaurant and they are receptive to Carmi to different degrees. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to see as a group, right, how they support one another in sometimes inconsistent ways, sometimes more more challenging ways. And it's really, it's an interesting case study in, in group dynamics in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think his sister, Sugar, mm-hmm. her thing is basically like, sell it, leave it, get out. Like, what? why? Like, why are you here? And um, he says, like, I'm going to fix this place. And she says, nobody asked you to. And I think that that's mm. a really good representation of how people see grief differently. For Carmi or for Bear, like, he felt that, Um, He says in the last episode, like, I feel as though fixing this restaurant is fixing my relationship with my brother. For Sugar, she had a relationship with Michael because she was there the whole time. It also seems like her relationship with the restaurant was strained in some ways. And so she's like, just get rid of it. Make it easier on yourself. But it means something different to bear. And I think that that's important to, like, recognize is that grief happens in different ways. And her, 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 she's like, let's move on. And him, he's like, let's 
kind of get resolution in some way. Yep. Rick or Richard, um, Richie, who may or may not be his cousin, because at one yeah. point they're like, he's not actually my cousin, which I was like, that's very Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> but he, yeah, he really liked how things were going. He wasn't worried about the money or anything like that because he was supplementing it by selling drugs and he was kind of getting mm-hmm. by and he was like, whatever, it's working. And uh, Carmi comes in and he's like, okay, but it's not working like a restaurant. It's just working like people all throwing whatever they want, wherever they want, however they want. And and Richie gets really stuck to tradition. And what I mean by that is more like a habit-based tradition rather than like actual tradition. But he sees it as tradition. Mm -hmm. And Carmi comes in wanting to change it. And he struggles with that. He struggles the most with it. The person I think who appreciates it the most is Marcus because Marcus is dying to learn how to basically bake um, and be a pastry chef. And so when given the opportunity to learn, he's very excited about it. Tina's fine as soon as the rapport is built. What I really like about her is that she is the best at communicating Mm -hmm. in a way that you kind of don't expect because she's very kind of like, she kind of blows people off a little bit, but I think in a way that's very compassionate and very thoughtful and she like checks in on people and asks them how they're doing and and does it in a way that's like really cool. And I like had a mm-hmm. note somewhere where I said I said Tina's the best at reading other people's needs and this is from the last episode where she checks in on Carmi. Um and then I go she yep. does it without being smooth. And so like it's kind of mm. awkward and she doesn't really know how to say it and what I love about that is I think that is a fantastic example for us that like Checking in and caring and being compassionate doesn't have to be smooth. You don't have to say the right thing. It doesn't have to come across like thoughtful and deep. It's just like, just let the person know that you also love their brother and you're thinking about them. Like that's all people really yep. want to hear. Yeah, they're all struggling. Yeah. Well, they are. And, and you know, it's interesting because as we, we said, uh, you know, Sugar is is probably the one, at least initially, who's sort of most attentive to Carmi's needs. And Carmi at one point tells her, you know, as she's sort of checking in on him, mm. he says, I'm fine. I just have trouble breathing sometimes and I wake up screaming, <laughs> you know, very nonchalant as if that's uh-huh. normal. And uh-huh. we get this sort of idea um, over the course of the show that for people who have worked in, in specifically this restaurant, but it also mm-hmm. feels like restaurants and kitchens in general Mm -hmm. it is sort of expected Mm -hmm. to be stressed to the point of breakdown that that is just sort of a normal part if you are in this industry this is what it's it's like this is you know you shouldn't expect it to be anything else. And it was interesting, actually, Bon Appetit, of all places, reviewed this show mm-hmm. and just talked to a bunch of people who all said, like, yeah, toxic restaurant culture is a thing. Yeah. Where excellence is expected, you know, super, uh, people would say, OCD control, mm-hmm. you know, even if they're not using that appropriately. Mm-hmm. But this idea, basically, that if you control every minute detail, you can make something as close to perfect as possible. Mm-hmm. And for someone like Carmi, who's coming, and really the whole restaurant, but Carmi and Richie in particular, who are coming out of this grief experience, to be in an environment where, on Richie's side, tradition, things have to be a certain way, on Carmi's side, the sort of this idea of perfection and structure and control, and it has mm-hmm. to be good, it has to be right, both are serving them in their grieving experiences in ways that we would think they assume are positive, right? Mm-hmm. But this environment is just something that doesn't really let you stop and feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Either you're clinging tradition or you're clinging to control, but one way or another, you are clinging, holding on for dear life, mm-hmm. trying not to feel all the feelings that are bubbling up for them over the course of this season. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that that's very realistic, right? Like they're both trying to not feel in different ways. Well, and also like, I don't know that Carmi's trying to not feel as much as he just doesn't really know how to. Like he even says to Sugar at one time, when I don't know how I'm feeling, asking somebody else how they're feeling feels insane. And he says that to to Sugar because he hasn't checked in on her at all. And 
I think that that's truly what's happening. And then also to add on to it, yes, this this environment, he's coming from a toxic environment into a grief-based environment. And then on top of it, he's struggling with the business side of it as well, which mm-hmm. like he doesn't, There at no point does he get to like go home and be like, well, I'll just wake up tomorrow and make a different meal. Right. Yeah. yeah, because yeah. he's the one who's, being like, where did all this money go? And like, how mm-hmm. do we turn pork into a beef restaurant? And how do we buy meat? And how do we get napkins? Mm-hmm. Like, and so do I think that he's like actively avoiding? No, because he does go to Al Anon and he like does True. try to process. But I do mm-hmm. think that like he is given an environment where not super functional coping mechanisms can be glorified and you know basically Mm. like the just shut up put your head down keep going don't think about it and then ends up lashing out at other people and they all end up kind of doing that like rick lashes out by calling the cops on those people outside and then uh sydney lashes out eventually in the second to last episode by basically stabbing somebody accidentally and you know it they all eventually like get to essentially a breaking point because none of them are they're neither choosing the life that they're living intentionally nor are they taking time to reset from it and so they're just kind of constantly Mm. sucked into this cycle kind of feeling as though it's not of their own accord yeah 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 and carmy goes from the sort of fine dining relationship where he's not in charge actually far from it right Mm -hmm. he is you know the one who's being told what to do and is being berated and is being held to this impossible standard so as far as we can tell he's not actually ever been fully in charge of a restaurant and the way that he ends up having to be in the bear is that am i am i missing or forgetting anything i mean the the restaurant industry is such like an interesting hierarchy because there's people who are like yes. in charge without being in charge and that's what of course what he so was. he's clearly up higher up the yeah, ladder so i think he's right, i think right. he was he's the not on the bottom rung yeah yeah. Um, yeah, yeah and so yeah. i think that like because at one at the, in the last episode sydney marcus asks sydney like well who was the best meal you ever ate and she said it was carmy's so by saying yes. that if she just goes to a restaurant and his meal is the best one she's ever eaten, he's basically in charge at that restaurant. But, oh, for sure. Yeah, for but sure. it's also there is somebody above him who can come in and berate him, as does happen. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but someone who handles the bills and mm-hmm. the the ordering and yeah, uh-huh. the you know the, the payroll and things. the taxes, yeah. mm-hmm. yes, and the debt and all these things that I'm sure a head chef would not be involved in whatsoever ideally yeah um right so to take on that pressure yeah yeah yeah, is is a particular thing and and that's why the you know the kitchen on fire is such an evocative visual that he experiences Mm -hmm. because for him like you know the kitchen is a kind of home or basically is home i mean certainly in terms of where he spends most of his time Mm -hmm. but then for it to be on fire and him sort of being paralyzed in that moment of what to do, what can I do? Maybe there's nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. I think is a really good example of sort of what it's like for him emotionally in, in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. But we also see a lot of, as you were pointing out, as you said, he went to, he goes to Alan. We see a lot of resilience with this family, with this crew as well. Yeah. And I definitely wanted to, to kind of note that and talk about that a little bit as well. You know, in particular, Sugar's sort of insistence that he go to Al-Anon, which mm-hmm. for people who don't know, Al-Anon typically is attended by um, loved ones of alcoholics. So basically, um, but doesn't have, just have to be alcoholics. There's also uh, Naranon for uh loved ones of people mm-hmm. who abuse substances but there's a lot of bleeding back and forth because I you know they acknowledge that Michael wasn't just drinking for example they they acknowledge yeah. that he did drugs as well mm-hmm. but carmy goes to alanon and, and initially is not actively participating he's listening it's clear that he's emotionally affected by some of the stories and some of the things that are are being shared there but i love the inclusion of this in general because i think it's so powerful to 
experience those settings and experience other people navigating your challenges and either they're on the exact same path that you're on, maybe they're further down the road and they've learned how to accept and cope in different ways, or maybe they're even struggling more than you are. Maybe that, you know, the sort of processes for them has just begun. And I think, I think it's so important that people kind of see the sort of power of that specific kind of support. Not that, you know, it's exclusive to drug or alcohol use, but you know, as supportive as the kitchen is, it was clear that Carmi needed something outside of that environment mm -hmm. also. Yeah. I don't know what sort of how, how you experienced that, but yeah, that, that really came through for me. Yeah. Well, because um, like I said earlier, there was like nowhere for him to turn off, <laughs> right? Like it, right. Right. no matter where yep. he turned, somebody was talking to him about something with the restaurant because one of the things mm -hmm. that also happens, we see it in episode uh, four, which is the kids party that like, Yes. His family use that term loosely. His family is work and then his work is so intricately related to his family as well that like everybody knew everybody at that party, but also that person is the guy that bankrolled the restaurant, but then also yes. like they know Sugar's husband, but they don't really like him, but so there's like all sort there's no matter where he is, whether he's at his sister's house or at, you know, his own house, which is just covered in cookbooks or at somebody else's family friend house. Like it's about cooking. It's about the restaurant. It's about, you know, his brother and his brother's so intricately related to the restaurant that there truly is nowhere for him to escape. And what I really like about the Al-Anon piece is that they show us that he attends, but they don't like mm -hmm. make it this central theme until you know and then sugar says something like you just need to go to the meetings and he's like i've been going kind of suggests yeah. that he's been going yeah. regularly yeah, which yeah i really liked because i think that's a very good representation of therapy whether it's group or individual therapy or or however you experience is like usually around one hour a week of your whole life it yeah. is actually such yeah. a small part but it's such a meaningful part and that's why that consistency mm -hmm. of going every week and having that space to not have to solve the books and to not have to cook anything and to not have to fight with Sydney or explain to Sugar or whatever. Yep. Um, and truly just mm -hmm. to be able to see that other people experience what you're experiencing in their own way, I think is really powerful. It's, you know, it's the the idea of being seen that we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Having your experience be seen. Yeah. Super powerful. You know, obviously just attending uh, is doing something positive for him. But we see in the last episode, episode eight of season one, him share sort of when prompted to, you know, is there anybody who's been here for fewer than, uh, I think she says like 15 groups or 15 weeks, you know, want to share. And he just comes right out and, and tells Michael's story. And as you hear him telling Michael's story, you sort of get some of these dots uh, connected that Carmi's been through over the course of the season. Mm -hmm. um, and we start to feel some of the weight lifted. Obviously, it's still a very powerful, emotional moment, but there's there's so much value in, yes, he is being seen, but now he's telling his story, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe for the first time, as far as we yeah. know, as far as we oh, can tell. I think so. Yeah. And in some ways, I've certainly worked with people in high stress environments, kitchens, you know, all sorts of different circumstances. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you've experienced this as well, where once someone gets to this point where they're comfortable, whether it's a telling their story or just sort of like doing this sort of releasing that they very easily could take up the 45 minutes and uh -huh. just talk straight through. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I'll have people who are like, oh, oh my God, uh, I'm so sorry. Like, was it okay that I did that? In other words, like sort of a sense of self-awareness of I haven't talked about what I've been dealing with all week mm -hmm. or all month or, and, and this sort of, I needed to do that, even though I, maybe I didn't know that I needed to do that. I'm sure that you've seen that as well. Yeah. That happens a lot. Yeah. It's like, wow, I didn't think I, my favorite is when I was like, people are like, you know, I don't really want to spend too much time on this. And then they spend the whole session on it of their own accord. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think that like, oh, I'm so sorry. I spoke that whole time is this idea of we've been trained to not take up space. 
Absolutely. Or at very least to take up equal space. Mm-hmm. And I think that I heard somewhere that women tend to apologize for it more than men do, particularly after like group hangs. Apparently women are more likely to text their friends and be like, hey, sorry, I talked about this the whole time or like, sorry, I bought whereas like men don't do I mean, I'm I'm being general here because I don't know. But generally men won't be like, oh, man, sorry, I talked about whatever the whole time. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's interesting, but I do think it comes down to this idea of the sense of like taking up too much space. And sure. ultimately, therapy is a relationship between two people. And I think it's really important for the therapist to be really supportive and mindful of that fact. But then also like it is the other person's space. Like I don't need to take up 50 percent mm-hmm. of it. If you need to sit and talk for 45 to 55 minutes, like go forth. Like that's what you needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And and similarly, Carmi was invited to share his story as well. So even if maybe there was some internal anxiety or awkwardness about sort of telling the story, again, presumably for the first time, or at least in this way, you know, we see we see some things kind of shift for him. Obviously, you know, not not all the problems are solved. And we do have kind of like a weird magical ending to this first season. I mean, the dots were were connected oh, yeah. over uh-huh. the course. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I was like, magical ending. I'm but, like, oh, right. The big ending. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we can we can come back to the magical ending. But I, I think this this experience of okay, I'm going to talk about this or, okay, I'm going to deal with this. So we have a lot of those sort of like mini moments throughout this season. Um, I think it was also during the the kids' birthday party scene where Richie is sort of acknowledging why he's on Xanax, why he takes mm-hmm. Xanax. He mm-hmm. says, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm full of dread or I'm, you know. I and, suffer from anxiety and, and dread. Yes. And Carmi's like, who doesn't? Uh-huh. And it's again, this, this sort of feeling for at least this family or this people, these people from this restaurant where it's just like, kind of like, okay, like we all are experiencing that. And I think there's something unintentionally invalidating about that. And and look, obviously, I don't think anyone is, is again, intentionally trying to sort of minimize this shared experience. Mm-hmm. But I think there is this idea of like, this is just what we're supposed to be dealing with. Mm -hmm. Like, this is normal. And I think that is sort of, you know, going back to this article on on Bon Appetit, like part of the toxic restaurant culture, Mm -hmm. which is that it, it permeates the the family, the all the employees, Mm -hmm. the, the sort of hierarchy top down where it's like, this is what you signed up for this stress is this part of this job mm-hmm. like if you want to move up you have to be able to deal with this and there's no questioning it mm-hmm. yeah it's hazing culture this i went yeah. through this and yeah. now you have to go through yeah. it to get to my place mm-hmm. yeah well and i think that i think the restaurant industry because it's such an explicit hierarchy and it's like very dramatically intense like that is is a sp- a special place where it happens, but I think it happens in a mm-hmm. lot of different environments that have hierarchies and basically a, a authoritative, um, authoritarian mm-hmm. leadership. Yeah. And basically like I started in the mailroom and I worked my way up. So you have to too. And like, I understand the, the knowledge base, the experience base, things like that. So should somebody know how to, chop vegetables before they're preparing full meals yes however the anger and the like you owe it and put up or shut up kind of grind culture i think is Mm -hmm. pretty toxic no matter what environment it's in yeah yeah and we see these like glimpses of love and passion and care and camaraderie you know, you talk to people who are in the industry and it's like those are like those little mini glimmers of hope that they hold on to, mm-hmm. um, like the family style meals and this sort of random compliment from a customer and mm-hmm. the sort of relationships that the customers, the pe- you, people you get to know and lives you become a part of. Mm-hmm. And those things are obviously really cool and in some cases even unique. And we see someone like Marcus, right, who mm-hmm. clearly has this very intense passion 
And despite being in this stressful environment is like, no, like I'm going to figure out how to make an amazing donut. Mm -hmm. I know I work in a beef restaurant and we don't even necessarily sell dessert, but I'm going to take my time in between making loaves of bread to make the perfect donut. Uh And that's so uh, precious is the word that comes to mind. And not, not to, not in like, oh, that's precious, but more like that is really like, so valuable that we don't want that spirit of his to be killed and i mean it almost does literally get stomped on Mm -hmm. in the middle of service when you know the restaurant is basically buckling under the weight of just turning on their what i assume is like equivalent to grubhub it's like now uh anybody can order and they get crushed under the weight of all those orders and he's like i did it i perfected this cinnamon bun and it basically gets knocked out of his hand and stomped on. It's like, yeah. you know, are you joking with me? I think Carmi basically says. That's always my fear when I'm working with people in these sorts of industries is that the things that they love or the reason why they went into those industries in the first place kind of gets crushed. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk to teachers or you talk to like people in, in the tech and coding world or you talk to chefs or mm-hmm. you talk to you know, really can be any profession, but it's like artists. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, I love X, but I don't ever really get to do X anymore. And, you know, certainly when you and I see people in these circumstances, it's like kind of wrestling with that. What can you accept versus what can you not accept about what this environment does Mm -hmm. to you and for you? Mm -hmm. Right. So obviously we, we tread very carefully on not sort of giving advice or telling people what they should do with their careers. Mm -hmm. But certainly people come in with those sorts of crises as like, you know, this is why I came into this, but in a lot of ways it's not working for me and I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so, so what do you do when, when posed that with that sort of like, I don't know what to do about this problem. Right. Because obviously in many ways it's not binary either. There's like lots of sort of shades of gray about what they can do to navigate it as well. Yeah. What do you think I do? Oh, well, um, it can be summed up with one you know, word. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to make any assumptions. I'll let you say it. Okay. Values, right? So basically yeah, okay. I check in with the person about like, what is it that you want versus what is the situation in which you're currently getting that mm-hmm, or are you yep. not getting it? Right. So if what you want is to create donuts and you are working for a place that is only allowing you to make cakes? Do you want to make donuts at home? Do you want to apply at a donut shop? Do you want to ask them if they can put donuts on the menu? And I think that like, it's really a matter of like figuring out with what you want, what are your options within the context that's out of your control? So Mm-hmm. What I think is so funny is the way that you spoke about um, Marcus was this like, oh, this precious kid who has like this, this passion. And he kind of annoyed me with that was I was like, oh, dude, interesting. Okay, like, that's funny. <laughs> I love that you want to do this thing, but this is not the time. I kind of got annoyed with that because Fair. I was like, that's like, it's not his job to make donuts. <laughs> no. And also like what I was also kind of annoyed was he was getting in his own way. And that's the part that was really that's true. me because he was loving working with Carmi and he was learning so much mm-hmm. from him and he was learning mm-hmm. and Carmi was letting him like the scene where he's like, Hey, I need to do this thing. And Carmi's like, do you know how to do it? And he's like, I'll figure it out. He's like, great. He was giving him the opportunity to like learn in the way that he wanted to. Yeah. But he like kind of screwed himself over a little bit. Right. Like he, cause Oh, he made some mistakes along the way, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because the yeah, thing is, like, yeah. in that moment, like, if you lose your job, that's the place that's giving you the space to do this thing that you love. So if you want to do the thing you love, the first thing you need to do is keep the job you have. Not for the sake of keeping the job, but for the sake of doing the thing that you love. And so, mm. like, that was what was really frustrating me was I was like, dude, you're not going to be able to do this anymore. Finish the cakes. You can make a cake real quick. So just make the cakes first and then spend time Mm -hmm. on the donut or the cinnamon roll or whatever you're making at the time. Well, that's what's concerning, right? Because we we find out that he's basically living there. He's got the sleeping bag Uh set up and he's got the whole thing, right? Uh And that that feels like, again, like part of this 
toxic culture where it's like, if you really want to get ahead, Mm -hmm. you kind of have to, this has to be your whole life. This, this is all that there can be for you. Mm -hmm. And he's sort of like willing to do that. Which sometimes is the case. To be fair, like right. I was, it can both be true that that's accurate to uh-huh. move up in the industry, and it's also really terrible <laughs> for yeah. that to be the truth. Well, and so, yeah. like for example, people who are trying to switch careers, it mm. may be that for a few years you don't sleep very much, or mm. you struggle, or if somebody who's starting their own company, like there's going to be stress that you're going to have to put up with because it's not easy to start a company there's risk involved and, and it's emotional. And, and so it's truly a matter of being like with what is happening as a result of this thing, is it worth it for the thing that I love or the thing that I want? And to me, those like sleeping in the kitchen to him felt like that was a choice. Like they're like, dude, what are you doing here? And he's like, this is where I want to be. This is the kitchen, Mm -hmm. which I was like, great. Good for you. Like, who says you have to go home if you don't want to? Now, after a while, eventually, I think what would happen is he wouldn't get good sleep, and then that would get in the way of his productivity, which well, would get the in the guy way of his brain, and like, yeah. And Ibra called him out also for maybe needing to shower while he was oh funny know, navigating that. So yeah, so hygiene also becomes yeah, and health and all you know. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I definitely like I I definitely think it's rare to have anybody who's like that passionate about something and so if you do have it find a way to maintain the passion in a functional way keep reminding yourself that it matters mm. to you and that's what's really important is if you choose to be in this environment or you choose to make donuts all day long remind yourself why it's important to you and how you're going to do it yeah yeah no it's it's a tough one because you know to your point here certainly there are circumstances where it's like I don't have a choice. This is this is the only job I know how to do or this is how I feed my family or this is how I pay off my student loans or whatever the circumstance might be. Sometimes it's just okay if this is what you have to accept and and deal with. How can we do that effectively? Can you go walk into the back alley and take breaks and mm-hmm. do a breathing exercise? Yeah. You know, how can you survive basically? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that that's what these jobs sometimes become about is is survival much less than thriving and you know achieving your yeah you know longer term goals mm-hmm. unfortunately and i yeah. also think what's really important in that moment is sometimes we get so caught up surviving that we aren't checking in with ourselves about if this is actually still what we want so i think that that's important as well is if you want it the way that i think like carmi did and the way that marcus does mm-hmm. And I think the way that Sydney does, absolutely. Then, yeah. then it's kind of worth it. Mm-hmm. I think there's other people who just kind of get caught up in it, and it's what they're already doing, and so they just kind of keep doing it and never stop and ask themselves, like, do I even care anymore? Like, do I even want to yeah. do this? Because um, of that yeah. sunken cost fallacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, and I think, you know, we we were talking a little bit before we started recording about the sort of organizational hierarchy, and you said the sort of four sort of organizations or families mm-hmm. where there's a authority figure, mm-hmm. and certainly in the, the restaurant industry, Carmi goes from fine dining sous chef to now he's uh, in charge, and the way he treats Sydney, uh, a character mm-hmm. who I thought was really well uh, portrayed as like another... A uh, person who has dreams and aspirations mm-hmm. of of things that she wants to do in this world, and specifically with Carmi because mm-hmm. she knows that he has the the skills and the ability, and she comes in and she's so excited and she's you know she's got that sort of like overachiever vibe mm-hmm. where she writes him up a huge report of all the different mm-hmm. ways that the she could help him you know make the restaurant run better, and she wants to give him different dishes and. You know, she agrees to sort of be his sous chef and take over the French, not battalion, but something like that, uh-huh. where it's like, you know, what it, whatever it's called, uh-huh. where basically like, like this idea of this very strict organizational structure. And he kind of well, uh, turns her into what it was like for him, uh-huh. you know, under his boss and, and, and his mm-hmm. previous uh, experiences. And, you know, you, it, it, I found myself wondering, like, do you think 
Carmi knows he's doing that and is sort of like what we're talking about, like, this is normal. This is the way these restaurants and these kitchens run. So he's treating her. This is just the way that sous chefs are treated. Or is it just so sorting so ingrained that it's almost like he's not even aware that he's sort of passing on that organizational structure? Yeah. I don't think he's doing it on purpose. I think he's so stressed that he has somebody below mm. him who he knows can handle a lot. And so he just keeps giving her yeah, more yeah. and more and more and more. She does show herself to be. Yeah. And that yeah. happens a lot in real life. Like the people who are really mm -hmm. capable and show that they're capable actually get more and more and more and more and more responsibility kind of to the point where like sometimes it's not even fair right because it's like oh well give it to so-and-so they'll Absolutely. say yes or give it to so-and-so they'll be able to figure it out mm -hmm. it's like they're already doing five things give it to the person who's only got one thing but i think the kind of issue with sydney and carmy is carmy comes in and he immediately wants to change it to things and he puts the responsibility on her to change it and he doesn't listen to her that this is not gonna work in this environment in this like you know chicago neighborhood like <laughs> rough and tumble kind of vibe like it's not going to work just day one and he doesn't listen to her he's mm -hmm. basically like just make it happen but then on the the reverse side she doesn't listen to him either and there's things that she jumps in and wants to change right away and he says like no we can't do this right now and it's and, not ready yet or yeah yeah mm -hmm. and also like we'll do it later because he's truly just trying to like get enough meat like he can't think of another yeah, dish yeah, yeah and that's some of the advice that i got once that i think is some of the best advice is like you have to learn a place before you start changing a place and i think that that's really important is like get in there figure out how they do it first before you start coming in with your own ideas and basically we see that with tina like at first she's like no i'm not doing any of this i'm not wearing this apron blah 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 but when she like gets to know them and starts to like recognize the structure and like the structure, she starts wearing the apron. And that's how change should happen by listening to the people who are there and communicating, which unfortunately Carmi is no good at. He's not a good communicator. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like even yep. when he like apologizes to Marcus, he just like taps like the oven near him. And he was like, well, it's, good to have you back man and then like walks away like that's his like whole you know like he says a lot in that moment yeah but like he doesn't say anything in that moment and no. he apologized we'll give him credit for yeah. the apology yeah no yeah. He, he definitely apologized he definitely definitely apologized yeah. but yeah i think like sydney needs to know when to shut up and carmy needs to know when to mm. like put a foot down but then say more <laughs> yeah uh-huh <laughs> And then Carmi also needs to know when to listen to Sydney. Mm -hmm. Yep. And yeah. that was very frustrating to me um, because I was like, if you two would both just like explain yourselves or like recognize that it's not the time, <laughs> um, which is kind of what I said to Marcus with his, his donuts. Well, like, it's not the time, man. <laughs> I think a lot yep. would have been solved. And, and that's what it comes down to with teams is like people really need to like know their roles, know their responsibilities and communicate and listen like it's it's super necessary yeah yeah it was interesting to see the the different employees of the beef i kept wanting to call it the bear but it doesn't actually become the bear until Not yet. next the season. <laughs> um right next season how they all each you know especially as they're instigating the i think it is the french brigade anyway you said battalion earlier i said battalion yeah. I, I think brigade <laughs> is the right word yeah <laughs> i mean yes they're going to war it uh. <laughs> feels like it yeah. And, you know, you can kind of see the look on their faces initially, especially when Sydney is kind of like explaining mm -hmm. everyone's roles and how's everything is going to work. And I know for me, I was like, I felt I felt afraid for Sydney and for the kitchen. Like, oh, my God, this is not going to work. Mm -hmm. Just like the the stress of no one caring as much as it felt like she mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. But to her and to all of the everyone else's credit stepped up you mm -hmm. know and and it started to started to work i mean obviously mm -hmm. they were navigating a lot of very unique challenges between mm -hmm. electricity and plumbing and mm -hmm. and stray bullets uh -huh. and crazy bachelor parties and <laughs> kids birthday parties 
But amongst all that, we really saw a a team starting to work together very mm-hmm. effectively. Mm-hmm. Ironically, sort of going back to what Richie said in terms of tradition, it's like when they started to take on a little bit too much, you know, whether it was um, we're doing donuts, even though we're not doing donuts, mm-hmm. or hey, we're turning this tablet on mm-hmm. for these mobile ordering. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, the scene where the receipts start coming out from the mobile ordering, uh-huh. I... I, you know, I read a lot about sort of other people in the industry, like not being able, literally not being able to watch this show. Uh-huh. And that scene made me so uncomfortable. I think that's like a very primal fear of mine is a, a sort of avalanche of work uh-huh. literally falling <laughs> yeah. onto me. And my internal reaction was like, well, I, well, I'm just closing the restaurant. Like I'm not ah! sending an email <laughs> to all these people. Like this is not That's happening. So and I, and this is what I, what I really liked about the sort of resilience of Carmi and of this show and of this team of people. And it's just like, all right, cook all the chickens. And I'm like, uh-huh. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't, I can't, ima- I can't fathom, you know, this unending number of receipts and just like, yeah, okay. We're just going to do it one at a time. Yeah. And that that takes a really takes an intense amount of seeing yourselves and your team as we are going to do this anyway, uh-huh. even though this is a really terrible situation that we're yeah. in. It was so frustrating for me. I was like, "Turn off the mobile ordering. Just yeah, turn it t- off." Like that was my first. I was like, "Turn that off, and then cook all the chickens." But yes. turn it off first so that yes, more chickens aren't sure. needed to be cooked. <laughs> Yeah, oh I'm gosh. definitely yeah. like a, well, let's buckle down and get it done kind of a person. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that didn't stress me out as much as I was like, turn off the machine. Like, yeah. turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was that. I mean, that whole episode, I think that was episode seven. It was like intentionally stressful because that was the one where the the cake gets Everything or the, was breaking the down. bun, yeah. get the cinnamon roll gets thrown on the floor and uh, Richard mm-hmm. gets stabbed yep. Sydney and quits. everything's broken yep. and Sydney like starts being mean and yeah, it was just like, it was so frustrating for me. And I think basically what I kind of came down to, which I guess is kind of what you're saying about the, like cook all the chickens is I have a note here that goes, Carmi just needs to learn how to say no. <laughs> I was like, he needs to say no to Sydney about the food. He needs to say mm-hmm. no to Tina about her kid being in there and learning today. He needs to say yeah. no to Marcus about the donuts today. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, you know, he needs to say like, nope, we're not making all these orders. Sorry, there was a bug. Yeah. Or all orders canceled. Yep. Try again next week. But I don't, you know, in, in authoritarian um, environments, people often don't learn how to say no because if they've never been the one in charge, they've never had the opportunity to be a part of the decision-making. And so they just, okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, whether it's parenting or being in a kitchen, it can be a disservice in terms of like learning how to lead or make decisions for yourself. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously over the course of the rest of those last two episodes where I guess somehow they, they get through that, that one crazy night Mm -hmm. and you know i think what was probably really good for all of them individually on different levels is sort of getting through that and then in some ways separating right we get we get sydney and marcus we get richie and carmy it's it's clear that we we get to sort of see these people okay yes they they do have lives outside Mm -hmm. of this they do they are able to connect on an individual level Mm -hmm. even if it's still around food it's not food that they are serving someone else Mm -hmm. um you know and we see how important that is amidst all of this stress is Mm -hmm. checking in on each other actually talking about how they're feeling the scene you mentioned before with carmy and uh sugar where he's just sort of like I don't, it doesn't even occur to him, or it's actually, I don't remember, you, you said the quote before, but it's like almost terrifying the idea of asking someone else how they're feeling. Uh-huh. Yeah, he says it went something right. along the lines of like, when you don't know how you feel, it seems insane to ask somebody else how they feel. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And I think that is such a relatable uh, expression of mm-hmm. sort of like what this intense stress is like for people mm-hmm. in these environments where, 
even if you know, and obviously he saw Sydney at that breaking point of like, no, I quit. Mm-hmm. But feasibly, that would have been a good opportunity to be like, okay, hey, everybody stop. Like, I need to talk to Sydney for a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Hey, what's going on? Obviously, you're upset. Like, if you really want to quit, of course, you know, we respect that. But like, do you just want to talk about what's happening right now? Because that's such what... a therapist. That there's no oh, time I know. for that. I know. That's okay. <laughs> it's got to be done but, after so... hours. <laughs> so, but there both is no time for that, and that, and there also has to be time yes. for that, right? Because we see them all in different moments, like steal moments in the back alley, yeah. and it, there you know, has to be a moment stereotypical, like that. Yeah. Yes. And the stereotypical restaurant, like toxic quality thing is like, well, if I'm a smoker, I can go take a smoke break. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's that same thing of I need to step outside of this mm-hmm. and breathe or take a phone call mm-hmm. or, you know, I, for people, some people smoke a cigarette. We can, mm-hmm. you know, uh, talk about what that, what the downsides of that as well. But it's it's this decision that I need something that is not this mm-hmm. for a period of time, um, and then I will decide when I am ready to come back into this. Yeah. Um, so, and that's not always normalized in these cultures. No, right? it's definitely not. And Carmi says yeah. when he's talking about his brother at Al-Anon, he says, I cut, like, this is a, a loose quote, but like, I cut people out. Life yeah. got busy. It got hard. The routine was busy, blah, 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 blah. And then he died. Right? Like, he just kind of lists all these yes. things and has like, and then he died yep. as one of them. And and I think mm-hmm. that if we are not intentional about the choices that we make, and if we are not thoughtful about what yeah. matters to us, and if we are not meaningful in in what we choose to do life turns into that it's wake up Mm -hmm. brush your teeth drink your tea do your job make dinner go to sleep do that again tomorrow and yeah you know i think it's really important to remind yourself why you're doing that and what's important about that and and if you're doing it for instance like for your family are you actually mm-hmm. spending time with your family in between that? If, if, yeah. if you have the, the privilege and the ability to be able to spare some time, you know, like it's, there's really a matter of being like, you really have to be intentional about not let, letting life be in charge um, and not letting it get away mm. from you. Yeah. And we could, we could probably spend some time, you know, a whole nother episode talking about like some of the societal, you know, hierarchies that contribute to these stressful circumstances. Right. Uh-huh you know, crazy 10 to 12 hour shifts and five days a week of work or for people in these industries, seven days a week. And maybe you're lucky if you get a day off and things like that. And, you know, and certainly in some industries now we see four hour work weeks becoming more acceptable or, you know, variable times off, time off, things like that, which, you know, certainly does a lot of people good. But, you know, there could be industries uh, and, and people who make certain dollar amounts where that's just not going to be feasible or is never going to be acceptable. And gosh, uh, uh, yes, I'm a therapist, but we have to find ways of making sure that that is, you know, a, a livable wage financially, but also emotionally. Right. That 100%. people are, are taking these jobs, but not being able to to yeah. live outside of them, then yeah. that's. To be yeah. clear, in that moment where I said you're such a therapist, it was the moment where you said no, when <laughs> Sydney said she wanted to quit, that's when you say, hold on, everybody, let's stop for a second and talk about it. Yeah. There's no let's yes. stop for a second during, you know, lunch rush. But there is the like, hey, can you In my restaurant there would be <laughs> Yes, I know you're right. Um, you know, like yeah. at the beginning of tomorrow's shift before you guys start sure. prepping. Like, sure. let's let's talk. Yeah. Or the hey, let's step out into the alley, yeah. you and me, or yeah. Which yeah. ultimately it appears they're going to do because there's the the start of that with their text exchange and then when she steps back in the mm-hmm. restaurant. So, yeah, I have hope. Yeah, she comes back to to her and Marcus's word, and they're you know as they were sort of sharing a delicious looking scallop, they both kind of sigh and then go back into the into the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Luckily for them, to our magical ending here, um, Michael yeah. had been stuffing hundreds of thousands of dollars in tomato cans. Yeah. And I was reminded um, once this happened that in episode one or two, Richie wanted to make spaghetti and meatballs. And Carmi opens a can and throws it away. And I'm like, you know how much money he just threw in the trash? (laughs) Right. Uh, I mean, obviously, 
good film writing there but like yes, oh yes. i can't stop thinking about that can that he threw away <laughs> so yeah. funny and then obviously there's the like the easter egg of all the cans are stamped with kbl so that's funny but yes. yeah i guess maybe we'll find out why exactly he did that rather than like actually using it to keep the restaurant running i don't know but. sure but yeah. Well, right. Maybe he's like hiding it from the IRS. Like there's still some sketchy stuff going on. Yeah. Very weird. <laughs> so it's maybe it's a short term solution um, yeah. for a problem they'll have to deal with next season. Yeah. Because he obviously yeah. intentionally wanted Carmi to find it. But there's we're going to find out more about Michael next season, I think. Yes. Michael and Richie, who also has a character, goes through some really interesting transitions there at the, the last couple of uh, episodes where he goes from sort of acknowledging that to his ex-wife and daughter he's Richie bad news mm -hmm. to seeing that wow he might have to do like life in prison for manslaughter mm -hmm. if this guy that he punched at the bachelor party mm -hmm. doesn't wake up to them being like okay wow I, I used my one phone call just to basically apologize and mm -hmm. tell my ex I love her mm -hmm. and give my cousin this letter that I've been holding out on for weeks maybe months mm -hmm. and we see a possible you know really transition in their relationship as well yeah no their relationship becomes more clear in terms of like oh there's a lot of love here amidst yes, the like 100%. roughness which i think truly yeah. summarizes all the relationships is like there's a lot mm -hmm. of love and a lot of compassion not in a mushy way at all like in a very like rough kind of aggressive way which again i think is very chicago <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah yeah i've only been to chicago once but every every memory that i have there this felt like right on the nose mm -hmm. just sort of like raw it's like mm -hmm. yeah. this sort of like very like real authentic both from like the food to the people to mm -hmm. like there's no bs there's no like no tricks like this mm -hmm. what you see is what you get basically mm -hmm. but not in a bad way and like uh, we can actually make amazing food that might look like you know a, a run-of-the-mill beef sandwich but uh -huh. it'll, it's probably the best it's beef so sandwich good. you've ever eaten absolutely right? yeah 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 I think this is a really interesting show. I'm glad it got the popularity that it did. You know, it's fun when these little shows kind of pop up out of nowhere and really, yeah, at least for a, a summer, kind of grab some attention. So, yeah, let's do some reviews. Haley, I'm going to ask you on a scale of one to five drug-addled kids' birthday parties, <laughs> how entertaining did you find The Bear? How entertaining? I... Yes. I'm going to give it a 4.8. I found it very entertaining. I, I, it's, it's everything you just kind of talked about with that, like that raw, authentic, real, like everything felt so realistic. All the characters felt realistic. I didn't like any of them a lot. I didn't dislike any of them a lot. <laughs> I like, yeah, yeah, they all just like felt like, people who were doing things that people do in an environment that is not organized and nobody's taking charge and the wrong people are taking charge and nobody's listening. And, and I also, what I really liked too, which you'll probably speak to, but it plays into why I liked it a lot is like the way grief was represented throughout this is that mm -hmm. like people talk about Michael and they talk about what happened, but they also don't. And I think that that's very realistic for how that happens. And and I think that that made this show very fun to watch because every person felt like a real person in a real situation in a way that, like you said at the beginning, was like kind of dark without actually being dark. But to me, that's sometimes how life feels. Like sometimes life feels Absolutely. really dark in a way yeah. that's not always that dark either. So yeah, 4.8. I liked it a lot. Yeah. This is a super obvious one. On a scale of one to five cans of tomato sauce with money in them, hmm. how accurate do you feel the mental health was represented throughout the show? So, yeah, to, to add on to what you said, I, all of these characters, so any one of these characters could benefit from being in therapy. Yeah. And you could tell any one of them, you could tell me any one of these characters 
was actually in therapy and just wasn't that just wasn't being shown. And I'd be like, yeah, because you can see that they're doing work Uh or because you can see that they're wrestling with emotional things that that are are at present. Uh And I, I, that's why I really appreciated, you know, the writing and the character development And look, it was only eight episodes that were not even hour long episodes. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, this was a tight season Mm -hmm. of television and yet in that uh, amount of time, we got uh, grief, we got Al-Anon, we got, as I said, group dynamics. So I thought it was really, really, really well done. And there are there are some more moments that I want to highlight probably when we start posting this on social media and things like that, because I just I think it's really, really good. And I'm always excited to see this kind of depth of sort of mental health insight be addressed in a drama but in a way that we said up top is not so heavy that it's like hard i mean it well it's hard to watch but not because of how painful Mm -hmm. the stuff is Mm -hmm. it's hard to watch because it's real and relatable and anyone who can see receipts being spit out of a of a machine is like oh my god i don't oh i can't imagine (laughs) so it's hard to watch in that sense and if you are you know, probably if you're a current or former restaurant employee, it might be literally hard to watch for you uh, or triggering in that sense. But all of that just means that they nailed it. And I think in that regard, I have to give it, I don't know, have I ever given a perfect score? I can't think of anything I want to change. I mean, even the Al-Anon stuff, which is sometimes a, a, a risky sort of dynamic to portray on screen, I thought was really well handled. Yeah. So I'm just going to say five tomato cans. If I think of something to change it, maybe I will. But five tomato cans with money stuffed in them. Well done, the bear. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's worth every dollar in those cans. (laughs) Yeah. I I agree with you. It it all felt very real human. Like all of it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They did a great job. Yeah. So how about that? Out Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. So we can. Yeah. I. I. All of a sudden, like people were talking about the show, um, my dad, a handful of people, you know, sort of, oh, like, yeah, this is pretty good. And then all of a sudden I was seeing, you know, all the actors and actresses on The Tonight Show and things like that and just like exploded out of nowhere. So kudos to them. Really well written, well acted. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for season two. I agree. Yeah. Thanks for joining us this week, everyone. Yes, absolutely. Thank you as well. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Yes. For any of all of your suggestions, keep sending them our way. And we look forward to to keep sending you uh, out some some new episodes in the near future. Bye. Bye.